You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick and I'm happy to have you with us. Today, we have my good friend, Jackie James, and I may trip uh, trip up on all the things that you do, as I just did there. So you're president and founder of ARA Fraud and Forensic Services, a leading investigative forensic accounting firm. You do risk management, investigations, and litigation support with, I'm not going to say it yet, but lots of experience in different things along the way. Yeah, I've got a hodgepodge of experience over my career path, I would say. So happy to have you here today. I'm so glad you join, you're well, joining you. us. And before we dive into the specifics of you, we've known each other, I guess, less than a year now, but kind of just jived on so many different levels. Yeah, we connected well. And it was uh, another friend, another uh, someone we both know that... I think just through things I've posted on Facebook or different things, she's like, you know what, your personality, you need to meet Jackie. I just think, one, we're both kind of accounting mind backgrounds, but uh, just that connection of positivity and light and whatnot, she said, you two have to meet. And I think we we hit it off pretty quickly from a personal level, but also with what you do because of my kind of accounting background. But I think what you do is pretty cool. You're you know, you're, you're a detective almost, but in a way that is not life-threatening on a daily basis. Well, that's true. I, I, I did have to hang up my, my gun belt from being in law enforcement years ago. This is definitely much safer nowadays. So, so I don't want to lose sight of that. But if we talk about where you're at today, the, the company, what you're doing, do a better job of putting that in layman's terms than I did. <laughs> what, as far as the current company yes. or kind of where I'm... Current company, what you're doing, and then okay. let's jump into the law enforcement, everything up to leading you to where you are now. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. Um, so with my company now, I've had ARA Fraud and Forensic Services since 2009. Actually, it started off as Asset Recovery Associates, and I started doing... Um, kind of fell into this, quite frankly. I hung up my investigative belt when I was in prior to jumping into the company again, so I thought. Um, and I had uh, started, gotten a call from someone that worked in banking, and they the banker had a need to go find assets uh, on a couple of debtors that had gone rogue. So I started the company doing asset locations and tracing, um, and then did that part-time for a couple of years while I was doing some other things. And during that time, I realized, and and through some of my previous experience, I realized there was such a need for someone that works with small businesses um, and uh, not, not the big corporations, and I'll explain a little bit later because I worked in big corporations, but small business to help with fraud risk management because employee fraud was so, so prevalent in um, privately held companies. And I didn't really see there were, you know, you got a lot of big CPA firms that do some of that. But what's been unique with where, where I really gave a lot of thought and intention as to how I want to grow this company. You know, I started this thing not realizing I was going to start another business. I just, I had another business at the same time. So I kind of transitioned from one to start this. 
and I wasn't sure where I wanted to take it. And as I really started giving a lot of thought to it, I figured, you know, let me start focusing in on things that I can do. I had a, a, a great, um, you know, just a great following and, and support group and just with other entrepreneurs in the community already and talking with other business owners, I figured, you know, let's do things that um, we can help them to hopefully prevent having a, a big tr- financial impact to their organization so they can keep their profits. And a lot of the big CPA firms that are out there, they're financial folks, not necessarily investigators. And I say that um, cautiously because I have a lot of good CPA friends that are really good at the investigative side, but there's a lot out there that are more looking at the numbers. And I think where my background comes in being an investigator, I've really been able to kind of take that experience and then apply my financial side, the accounting side, kind of as a subset, and it's worked well. So I started the company doing um, doing the fraud risk management, and then in 2015, I got a, a phone call to uh, from a divorce attorney to help locate and trace assets in a divorce case. And I said, okay, sure, I, I, this is what I do, why not? You know, hadn't done the litigation before. And that was my first exposure into dealing with the litigation side of things, and I fell in love with it. I absolutely love it. So what about that part do you, do you love? Just being able to take th- these complex problems and putting all the pieces of a puzzle together. Because one of the things that I find when, especially doing financial forensics, is you have a lot of information but you may only have a couple of small pieces of, of needles in a haystack that are really gonna open up that entire case. And if you can find those and break it open and start making this picture come into play so you can solve the problem for the client, that's, that just is something that's always kind of been in my DNA. Is that, you mentioned earlier, being an investigator versus just looking at the numbers, is that the difference? Finding those needles in the haystack and breaking it open? You know, I'm going to answer that kind of two ways, yes and no. So for me, I think having the investigative side, because I grew up as an investigator, you know, coming out of that whole law enforcement, corporate investigation side of the business, and then went and got my master's in accounting, finance, and my certified fraud examiner credentialing, and I taught at Webster, um, taught master's level accounting for Webster University. So quite frankly, that was a great experience to really help to understand the accounting side and then to merge the two together. So I think with someone that's on the financial side of things doing forensic accounting, you almost have to have a very inquisitive mindset. You know, you have to, your mind has to really look at all things, you know, a 360 degree angle. And I find sometimes that, you know, if if I, I think just came up on the accounting side, I don't know that I would have had that same level of experience. Now, maybe just, again, innately who I am. I probably would look at things a little bit more deeply, but I find, um, you know, having to do investigations and having done them for over 30 years at this point, it's just, I just know what questions to ask. I know how to to dig for additional information. I know how to assess if I think somebody's being truthful or not, you know, so it's just, I've been able to pull all of those experiences over the years and really apply it to what I do today. And... I try to go and find the things that are not there, that are not seen, you know, so that I can, you know, at the end of the day, I want to bring value to my clients. Um, And sometimes the numbers doesn't support what the clients say. And that's, you know, that's definitely, there's been times when that's happened too. But, um, but that's what I really love about the litigation piece. 
Do you want to bring value to the clients, but in an ethical way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At, you know, I always tell people I am not the expert, the forensic accounting expert who will paint a narrative based on what the client wants. I'm here to tell you what the data states. And if it's doesn't, isn't in alignment with what the client thinks, I always tell the client, I'm going to tell you that. And then we're going to, you know, I don't want you to continue to spend money for something if it's not there. You know, I've had to fire myself to some, you know, to some degree with clients and say, hey, you know, I just don't think it's worth you continuing to pay me just because it's not the right thing to do for the client. So, you know, but if we go down a path and the numbers and the data starts to reveal that there is some type of um, discrepancies or there's um, some type of, you know, hidden assets, depending upon what type of case we're working. And yeah, I want to make sure that we uncover that. Um, so the client has all the information, they can make a well informed decision and move forward. I think what you were saying there is what you do is based on relationships, but not only relationships, you know, really doing what's in the best interest of who you're working with. And if that's a huge compliment, I think to you to say, I'm going to tell you, if you shouldn't work with me any longer, or don't waste your money on this, this is where I'm stuck at. So I just, again, another reason why I like you so much. You talk a lot about the investigation side, and we've so far skipped over this. Talking about your investigative work, you said you talked with, you worked with corporations. You know, what, what, early on in your career, what is that? Yeah. So my career path has kind of been interesting because, you know, um, I remember early on being a little, little Jackie, you know, wanting to be a police officer, you know. I was a Charlie's Angels girl, you know. What made you, what do you recall stood out for you that you wanted to do that from an early age? You know, I I don't know that I, there was a specific incident. I just remember at a very early age and whatever reason, four sticks in my mind that I just, I knew I wanted to be a police officer. I always had a need to want to help people, you know. Um, And so when I had, you know, got as a young adult had, Moved. I was living in New Jersey, um, moved to Florida, and decided I was going to go put myself, you know, go start a career in law enforcement and put myself through the police academy um, with the hopes of getting hired on. And I was hired on by a department down in Florida and um, worked down there for a couple of years. And that was my dream job, you know. Um, I, uh, it's kind of funny because I was a beach police officer on St. Pete Beach, Florida, and my other half, who was a retired police officer from the city of St. Louis, said I wasn't a real police officer. I have to disagree, but I just had a better better scenery and environment to go to every day than, than my other half that did when she... That's right, exactly. So um, so I was finally got my dream job, was uh, headed in a you know great path with that. But, you know, there were a lot of challenges being a female, especially back in the 90s. Being in law enforcement, um, you know, I found there was there was just you know you would have people who just in a department who there was a lot of politics, I guess, you know, especially in a small department, um, and so unfortunately there were a few people who wanted to try to jam people up and you know try to get them in trouble for for little things, and so you know I saw some of that culture, and then I had one of my um, my partners on a department. And someone who I was really, really close with um, had been diagnosed with cancer, and it hit me really hard. And that was probably, uh, well, still a little sensitive today, but um, was a pivotal time in my life because, all right, sorry. No, I mean, no sorries. This is real. And I think 
this is going to be helpful for somebody out there who maybe earlier on in their careers and their life can recognize yeah well it's you know it, it was a young age i've never lost anybody at that point and and this person was also um my soulmate so i'd lost lost the individual and and uh, to cancer and then got out of law enforcement and went into corporate investigations but during that time period i was probably um, in hindsight looking back i sit here and i realized that was probably a very defining point in my life as challenging as hard as it was um I mean, hell, even 30 years later, I'm still getting all teary-eyed over it. But um, it, after I got through some of the anger, the hurt, just feeling defeated, because there was a point in time where I was at a very low point in my life with that. And then I decided, you know, being a police officer, you couldn't actually continue to do what you do and not have your head focused. So that, which is why I eventually went into, got out of law enforcement, gave up my, my dream job, and went into private security. But, you know, in hindsight, looking back, that period of time was really defining for me. And I think what it did is it, it realized the power that I, and the strength that I had within me to continue on when I didn't want to. And it, I became very driven, you know, I became very driven to be successful in this new segment of my career, you know, in retail loss, I went into retail loss prevention. And, um, and was successful, and I kind of worked my way up the corporate ladder. But of course, with anything, there's always, um, you know, any challenges, there's always, you know, uh, when you work with different folks, personality conflicts, things of that nature. Um, so worked in retail for, I guess, about 11, 12 years. Um, when you say worked in retail, is this really with the companies for the companies yeah, in loss so, prevention? So no longer law enforcement. No, law totally enforcement separate. separated. Yeah, I apologize. Kind of get no, side, no. sidetracked. Um, left law enforcement. I went into um, started working for companies like uh, Home Depot, Best Buy. Um, I worked for uh, you know WH Smith, which was a um, gift shop in airports and hotels. Um, you know, and I just kept going up the ladder from. A position standpoint um, and then when I had moved to st. Louis met somebody uh, who uh, who lived in st. Louis I was living in Atlanta and as you know when you are from st. Louis you know you if you're not here you either move here for a job or you move here for someone so I ended up moving here for someone and at that point there just wasn't a lot of regional level positions in st. Louis so I decided to get out of out of retail and then I went into banking as a branch manager totally fish out of water you know, so I went from a being in, in an investigative position to now I am in a leadership position, having to go and develop relationships with small business owners and um, having to uh, do sales, you know. So all of this was a, a new concept. So I had to reinvent myself again. So I feel like over my life, I've had to reinvent myself a couple of times. And so with that, I think I had another pivotal moment where I realized you know, working with small business ownerships, being a branch manager. And at that same time, I also started, when I was in banking, I started a part-time, and there is no such thing as a part-time business, by the way, um, a part-time winemaking business. So I took a hobby that I had of making wine and started a business doing- you kept this secret from me <laughs> since we first met? I can't believe it. I thought I shared that with you, sorry. Um, but yeah, so I started a business, I'm a branch manager. So I ha what I realized by doing those two things, um, and this was all back in nine, uh, 2006, 
you know, I'm figuring out how to do sales, how to work with small business owners, how to network. So I didn't know how to network. In your investigations, you don't know how to network. You just go and you do investigations and you, you know, you interview folks and whatnot. Um, and then I was a small business owner at the same time. And what I realized, it took me about six months. And what I realized, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, a light bulb went off. I'm like, I really like being a business owner. And I really like taking all the lessons that I learned by opening up this, this micro winery, because there was a ton of lessons there. And trying to find ways to not to help other entrepreneurs not have the same mistakes that I had to, or hurdles that I had to go through. And I became very passionate about building resources and teams around people. And I realized there was a huge value in bringing in, as the banker, you've got the financial person, you've got the CPA, you've got your, your whole team. So if somebody has a need, they've got good go-to people that you trust that you know will do a really great job taking care of that client. And so I developed, I found a passion in me I didn't even know existed. So it was pretty cool, you know? So again, as every time it seems like I have one door that's shut in life and another one opens, it's almost like a rebirth, right? Um, and you find something new about yourself. And, and so from that, um, I stayed in banking for about a little over two years. And then that's when the economy started changing. I left National City before PNC acquired them and, um, and started... Uh, ARA Fraud and Forensic Services. Now, at the same time, I had my wine business. So I'm sitting here having to juggle. Well, you know, I'm spending a lot of time making wine and having wine parties and having a, a lot of fun. Um, but I'm really, really enjoying doing the investigative side again. And I felt like, you know what? No, this is, you know, I, I it, it re, it, sh the universe put that back in front of me for a reason. And I just felt like this was my path. And so I decided to close the wine business and you know, see where ARA would take me. And here we are 22, almost 20, 23. And it's been a great ride. Well, it sounds like the and I was really long winded. So I apologize. No, this is great. Because I one, I didn't know about the wine business. And you mentioned here that now I know your expertise, <laughs> you mentioned that you a lot of lessons, from lot of lessons, the wine business dive into that a little bit more because it sounds like a lot of lessons there that you've then as different business owner and helping other business owners that you were able to bring over yeah. in those areas. Well, and I think that's where, so going back to that time period, what I realized was I'm new to St. Louis. You know, I'd moved here in 2004. Um, and although I didn't grow to, go to high school here for some reason, I've been able to break into the St. Louis clique. So I feel very fortunate with that because I people never treated me as an outsider. But I still didn't have the team of folks and the resources around me as a business owner that I learned quickly on trying to get this business, this wine business open and started um, that I needed. You know, the attorneys, the CPAs, the insurance folks, you know, just the different key advisors. And so I did figure it out on my own because that's just who I am. I'm always going to keep moving forward. Um, but in hindsight, it would have been a lot easier had I had the support structure around me. And so... That was one of the big lessons that I learned, and I took that skill, that lesson, and, and applied it in my banking role. You know, as a as a quarterback, and the way I look at it as a quarterback for my clients, I want to make sure that they have the right resources around them, so they don't have to go through the same challenges and try to figure it out the hard way like I did. So, you know, I'd always ask a lot of questions. You know, I, I went into any banking engagement asking more questions, not necessarily around banking, but tell me about your business. What are your, you know, what are your challenges? What, you know, what's this? Do you have this resource? Do you have that 
um, resource over here. I think most of the conversations I had with my clients back then were not necessarily banking related, which has been nice because fast forward to 2023 almost, um, I have a lot of those same banking clients that are now good friends. You know, so um, it's, it's, it's really, in hindsight, when I look back, it's been really cool how it's all transpired. We'll keep going with your story, but before we do, in case there are any business owners that are listening, you mentioned a few of those advisors. If you could, yep. somebody's starting a business and they yep. say, who do I need to have on tap early on? You mentioned attorney, CPA, insurance people. Can you dive? Yeah, so definitely have a banker. You know, um, there's a difference between, um, you know, I always ask people, you know, who's your banker? And if they say U.S. Bank, I'm like, okay, you don't have a banker. You need a banker, not a bank. You know, um, you need What's that. the difference there? You need somebody that's going to have a vested interest in the success of your business, you know, and a lot of bankers will sell you bank products, right? And they're order takers, but you gotta find somebody that's truly, if you go and work with a small business banking officer, um, they're usually more invested in the growth of your company, the success of your company, because the more you grow, then obviously that, that it's a win-win for everyone. Um, so finding somebody that actually takes has a good relationship and is willing to invest more into the the, the partnership because that's what it should be a partnership than just somebody that's saying hey you need a, a new checking account set up sure I'll do that for you you know they're looking out for the entire business um, the owner and the, the company they have a, a vested interest so having a banker having a CPA and the same thing with the CPA and it's one of the things that has been a challenge is finding good consultative CPAs that actually are looking at things from a, a, a 360 standpoint. You know, I've had this conversation yeah. before. Right? So proactive versus proactive, reactive right. and comprehensive yeah. versus just what the numbers told me. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some good CPAs over the years. Unfortunately, we lost one of them when, you know, Eli Ablis was one that I had a, a really great rapport with. Um, you know, so finding a good CPA who is really just going to, um, again, be a partner, right? Not be, not be the, the reactionary person that when you call, they're an order taker. Um, having an insurance person, same thing, you know. These are all partners. And the key is, is your insurance, your CPA, your attorney, a good business attorney, somebody to help on the financial planning side, you know, because those are all things as we grow as business owners, we also want to obviously accumulate wealth. So we need to have that planning piece in place. But the key to having all those partners is they need to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that sometimes gets missed, you know. And so I think one of the things that I recognized early on in my career when I was, you know, kind of going through the whole banker, being a winemaking entrepreneur, was um, that that was really important. I didn't have that. And I was pretty dead set to make sure that anybody I worked with did, you know, in, in my circle of, of, of influence, whether it's you know, in my banking role or even today, you know, and that's where, I, you know, a lot of times I talk with other entrepreneurs, even seasoned entrepreneurs. I'm surprised at sometimes how they don't have certain key players in place. And I'm like, okay, you've got a $100 million successful business. How have you not had this? Well, let me introduce you to this person, you know, and that's where what I love to do is just be able to connect good people and bring good people together. It sounds kind of surprising that somebody could be so successful without having all those people in place. Are there organizations, I mean, is it is it finding a mentor who's developed their own business? Uh, is it, are there organizations, nonprofits that will help 
small businesses? How do they, how do they, there are, I'm sure, you know, honestly, I've been, I think so far out of that piece of, I was very much ingrained in it when I was in banking. Um, You know, uh, there were a lot of different networking groups and, you know, mastermind groups and things of that nature. And I'm sure there still are today, but um, so I, I, I couldn't give you a list, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is for any entrepreneur is to just go, go network and partner with other entrepreneurs, but go find these key advisors and start building those relationships. You know, it, it, sometimes as a as an entrepreneur, we get so focused and busy focusing in on our business, we forget to work on our business. You know, um, and so sometimes it's pulling us out and making time. I mean, I've run into that just recently because my business has grown so much over during. COVID, which if anybody were to say that, you know, I'd have three of my best years ever during a world pandemic, I would have thought they were crazy. Um, So trying having that time to get out to network and find those relationships or just continue to foster the relationships has been challenging, but it's important. What do you think happened during COVID that caused that? I have no idea. You know, um, I have no idea. But uh, litigation has just been through the roof. So, you know, and I guess if I were to in looking back, it probably had nothing to do with COVID as much as I think just all the seeds that I'd planted for all the years past probably just come to fruition and manifested, you know, and it just all manifested during that time period. But, um, but I thought you were going to say something juicy like everybody was at home together, and so well, no, that is true. <laughs> On the divorce side, yes, we we did see a huge uptick in divorce um, from the pandemic, um, and I think uh, yeah, the divorce attorneys are still probably. Uh, keeping very busy right now. It's probably like that being home together or they talk about if you go through a renovation or remodel, you can tell oh. the uh, <clears throat> relationships that can uh, stick through it to right. the end. And I imagine with small businesses too, probably the stress of COVID maybe shed light on areas that maybe they wouldn't have and caused things to bubble up. But yeah, uh, no, it's a uh, divorce rate definitely ticked up. So, you know, or custody battles, but yeah. So today, a lot of your areas, we mentioned divorce, but it could be uh, fraud in a company, b- partners, business owners or something, or employees. What are all the areas that you work in, that your team yeah, works in? sure. So um, when I look at, I've kind of, you know, I, I handle, work with the small business owners dealing with any type of fraud risk management or fraud investigation. Unfortunately, white collar fraud cases are definitely on the rise. Um, why do you think that is? Well, not to get political, um, so I won't. But if you look at the last six, seven, eight years, um, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on from a, a you know, political affiliation, but if you look at what's going on in our government, there's not a lot of ethics anymore. And you know, one of the things that uh, in my world as a fraud examiner, fraud investigator that we see is if you, the, the tone that's set at the top is what trickles down right? So I think by seeing the tone at the top where you've got all these politicians that just are very unethical and, and the, that trickles down to society, the ethical barometer in our country is just continuing to go down. And so which is causing more fraud in business, um, you know, with when I say in business, not necessarily dealing with the cyber fraud and all this, I mean, that that's still going to be there. That's that's actually getting more rampant, but I'm talking about the employee fraud. And then the same thing with just the way people interact with one another. It's like we've almost lost our ability to be respectful and to be you know, compassionate for one another. 
over the years, and which is sad. So I'm hoping we can eventually turn that tide and get back to that. But I, I think a lot of that translates more into, you know, people doing things like hide money, you know. So when you ask what type of cases I work, so I deal with the fraud um, in business, but I also in the litigation side. I do a lot of divorce. I do um, a lot lately of shareholder dispute cases where business owners are having some type of financial conflict amongst themselves. And then um, I also do a ton of uh, estate litigation. So where you've got the trustee mm. um, in an estate case who um, may have their hand in a cookie jar, so to speak, or, you know, or I just recently, which was refreshing, I had a trustee hire me and say, hey, I've got a family member who thinks I'm stealing. I want you to go and just show that I'm not, which was refreshing, you know, um, so and then you've got civil fraud, you know, and just some other civil litigation cases where there's some financial element. So those are probably, I'd say, the, the estate, the shareholder disputes, divorce are probably the three biggest pieces that I do on a litigation side. So you talk pretty passionately about a lot of those things that you do in helping people. When you think back to some of the cases and the different things you've had, what are some that really stick out to you uh, that you look back on fondly or, yeah, we did the right thing? Yeah, so, man, there's a lot of cases. I'm kind of hard to pick one or two here. Um, So one of the more recent cases, actually, I I just did was a fraud case. um, And it seems for whatever reason, I've had several nonprofit fraud cases this year, um, which is really sad because you're working with these nonprofit organizations that are out to, you know, do good. You know, they have a mission. That's their focus. But the downside with that is they're so mission-driven they forget to do some of the things that they need to do to keep themselves financially protected. Is that what you think lends them to be open to fraud? Or? I do. Um, yeah, I sat on a board for uh, Gateway 180 as a treasurer for several years ago, and um, which they're a homeless shelter in a city. And I saw it, it was a great experience because I saw just, you know, trying to wrangle people together to say, hey, yes, we, we, this is great, we need to do this, but we also need to make sure we're kind of putting a couple of controls in place over here just so that we're not putting ourselves in a situation where we're going to have exposure um, or a loss. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting mindset. So, yeah, I think, you know, their, their focus is this one agency was focused was on, um, and it, they're here in Missouri, they're outside of St. Louis, but they had um, – Dis- disabled individuals with Down syndrome that would come in and do work for companies. And the general manager of the organization had actually embezzled um, a bunch of money over a very short period of time. And I say short, for me, it was about three years. Most of my cases that I work tend to go on for about 10 to 20 years. Um, so luckily, the damage was only 388000 which is still a lot. In three Especially years. for a nonprofit. Especially for a nonprofit when their budget's less than a million, yeah. Um, you know, and this nonprofit almost shut their doors. And so um, through the resiliency of the, the board members who did a phenomenal job doing everything they could to keep to keep it going, um, and we had put together the pieces of the puzzle on the back end from the fraud side. I mean, luckily that's in prosecution now. But, you know, I think that's one where, you know, working with good people like that, you know, that's – a lot of the cases that I work on, you know, I've been fortunate that I've been working with some really awesome, amazing people. And, you know, it just makes me want to go help them that much more, you know. Um, so luckily, 
the company didn't shut the doors and they're actually thriving now. And so, you know, and we just did a, uh, a fraud training with the board the other, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, just helping them to make sure that they've got some key elements in place moving forward so that they're set up for success. That's a great idea, fraud training for boards of nonprofits. Oh, God. Well, everybody needs fraud training. And when I say fraud, I'm not saying, hey, this is how you steal. Right. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me just qualify that. <laughs> Thanks for being very clear about that. We wouldn't want anybody well, contacting you for the right, wrong reasons. Let's go, let's go have fraud training, and we're going to teach you how to steal. Um, but in some regards, it almost does teach you how to steal, so you know how to identify True. it. And that's the whole purpose of it. So, <laughs> but it sounds like you, you know, from early on, you wanted to help people. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. be, wanting to become a police officer and hear you talking about this story to me circles back to that value of yours of really wanting to relationships yep. and seeing that direct help of others who deserve and need your help. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, when I look back, that's just, you know, something that, is important to me you know i want to be able to hopefully leave this world a better place than where i found it you know or where i came into it from and and you know every day it's it's always striving to better ourselves however we can so that we can then pay that forward that's kind of how i look at it you know how can i grow and learn and develop and then how can i then take that that knowledge and that i just learned and share with others so that they don't have to go through some of the same heartaches you know so we talked about businesses working with you but if i'm sitting out here listening to your story who who would call you who would work with you so a lot of times i work with obviously the business owners but in litigation i um you know uniquely i've had uh and i say unique because in talking with colleagues seems like mostly attorneys will hire them on on their litigation cases and i have that as well so I'll, i work with quite a few attorneys um in town that uh, and very good attorneys by that but I find a lot of times that the actual person going through that litigation will call me. Sometimes either, um, you know, before they even hire their attorney, they think they need a forensic accounting expert. So, um, so consumers, um, attorneys, small business owners—that's usually kind of the the group of folks that I tend to work with. Could be spouses going through a divorce too. So when we think about people, yes, it might be a CEO or CFO at a company. But it could also be that individual who might be going through a divorce. True. Yeah. Right. Usually the CFO doesn't call me if on a fraud case because usually they're the yeah. ones. To, <laughs> hate to say that, but um, but usually it's the business owner. But no, yes, it would be. Uh, you know, if somebody's going through a divorce, usually what I say the person going through litigation. You know, whether it's divorce, estate issue, shareholder dispute. You know. Um, you know, a lot of times they think, well, I need a forensic accounting. So they, they'll find me or somebody will refer them to me. And um, I usually end up talking with them sometimes in some cases before they ever hire the, the attorney. So talking about divorce cases and people, I mean, I'm married, been married 20 years. Don't think I would know how to or figure out how do you even hide assets. So is there a case that sticks out that is interesting and we could learn from well i had a um uh, individual who uh, had hired me thought that the husband was uh, living an alternate life um and we started finding um first off we found a lot of what we call dissipation meaning um 
they were using marital funds to go pay for their their um, their habits. You know, whether it's uh, unfortunately, I see a lot of a lot of times people use marital funds to go have a pornography issue or gambling issue or um, you know whatever it. In this case, this person had um, a mistress on the side, um, had started establishing another family on the side, and um, so the money was being spent, dissipation for this other family. So, But there wasn't a ton of it coming out of the accounts. It was very little. But there was certain, I'm trying to recall because it's been several years on this one, there was something that caught my eye, and I don't, again, I don't recall specifically what it was, that led me to, and it might have been an account, uh, a transfer, that led me to question whether there was any money going to someplace else that we didn't see. Um, and so we had the attorney send out a subpoena for records for this other account to get more information on it and found out that that was an account um, with this, you know, this individual had. And then when we got in those records, we saw all the spending for the other the other lifestyle that this person had with this other person and uh, a stepdaughter and uh, things of that nature. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's why I said it's, you know, people can hide assets. Um, usually they're not as smart about it because they think you'll have one party, one spouse that's in control of the finances and the other one's kind of hands off is what I've experienced. And usually it's the female who is hands off so they don't know what's going on. Um, and not in all cases, but most of the time. And so if you have that, then usually you'll see the spouse, you know, thinking, well, my wife's not looking at the finances anyway, so I can go do these things. But if somebody wants to find a way to hide assets, and I did, you know, I did have another case where this person was really, you know, I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm not finding anything. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. And then all of a sudden, again, a little breadcrumb popped up and I'm like, got it right there, you know, and we were able to go and explore that that breadcrumb and figure out get more information and that led us to a whole nother whole nother um realm of financial information that showed that this person had opened up all these other accounts and had money hidden here and here and here so um so yeah it's just it's really uh it's really taking a a micro micro um what's the word i'm looking for uh looking at it through a microscopic lens to really kind of look at things but um but hiding assets in general, and you know, I've seen people that will transfer money left and right out of accounts. They don't disclose that, um, you know, in a divorce settlement. So they'll sit here and say, "Here's all my accounts," but they do it without really trying to hide it, because, but they just don't turn over the statements. That's more common, you know, um, thinking the other party just isn't paying attention. And then every now and then I'll get a case where they're really intentional about trying to hide it. And if somebody wanted to hide assets, they could. It's pretty easy. Yeah, when I first came out of public accounting, or maybe even while I was interning, I was on working as an auditor. Uh, they had brought in an accounting firm to look at the books. And what I heard was, and so maybe you can speak to this, is that it often starts small. Mm-hmm. And then they start to feel comfortable with, hmm, nobody's catching on. I can get away with this. And then it gets bigger and bigger. So, and maybe that's where, again, one of the questions or one thing we talked about was why can it go on for so long before it's caught? And it, for those, maybe, I mean, it may go on for a long time. You might get something, but most often you're going to get caught somewhere somehow, right? Generally, um, you know, at some point you can only 
at some point, something's going to happen that's going to um, where the game's going to be up. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know that I've ever, of course, heard a story where or met anyone where they done something a song and never got caught you know at some point it's the game's going to be up you will get caught um may take a while but at some point you know people get comfortable and that's when it happens so it seems like there's always some sort of paper or electronic trail that you you may make it more difficult to find but it can still be found true and you know a lot of that goes back to human behavior right because you said it very well that when you first have a fraud that occurs, people take a little bit at first, see if they could get away with it. Oh, nobody caught that. They also have to rationalize in their head, you know, doing some of this, especially if they've never done this before. Now, if they've done it before, they're going to go big right out of the gate. That's how I can always tell if I have a, a, a fraudster who, when you're working a business fraud, if this person is stolen before or not when I work a case. Because if I start, like I had a case for a realty company, and as soon as the employee got hired on in October and December, she started stealing, and she was stealing large amounts. I'm like, oh, she's done this before. You know, so, but if somebody starts taking things small, and then they do it over a court, they start taking a little bit more as the comfort level gets there, and they rationalize in their head why they're not a bad person, and this is, they're entitled to this, then, yeah, it, and it will go on for a long time, but at some point, they will get caught. And that's when they bring you in the expert to find it hopefully before then true true right so hopefully we can we can nip it in the bud earlier than later but yes generally i get the calls after the building's already burning and we have to go put the fires out in the end crime doesn't pay right i don't know that i can say that <laughs> i would like to say that unfortunately I've, I've i've seen some folks financial crime this is the hard part, and this is what, where it's been hard with what I do, because I feel like I swim upstream when it comes to dealing with these fraud cases, because financial crime, you don't get the same stiff penalties from a criminal uh, sentencing standpoint as you do with other crimes. So, you know, um, I've had some people that serve, you know, five, six years in jail, you know, federal pen, because I usually take most of my cases federal because they're over a certain dollar threshold. Um, and then I had a $1.2 million fraud case where the girl, the lady who had embezzled, got six months probation. No rhyme or reason. So, Again, you're probably not going to get that money back as a business owner or whatnot. So better spend that money on prevention ahead of time. Get the right people in to show you how to do that. The right coverage, the right insurance so that you're not you dealing with. Make sure you got the insurance. That's going to be huge because if you, yeah, you won't. The likelihood of getting it back as restitution is going to be minimal. Now, although that lady who did steal the $1.2 million did start to pay my client restitution right away, but that was after she went and worked for a paint company in St. Charles. She started spending $500 a week to my client for restitution. Where do you think she got that money from? So I asked the Secret Service agent to go pick her up at, that, at the employer because I can't say anything to the employer ethically because I'm bound by confidentiality. So, Wow. Some interesting uh, stories. Yeah. Oh, I've got, got a lot of war stories. I had a case, actually, when I first started, when I first decided in 2011 that I wanted to start um, implementing fraud risk management services in my, into my company and start providing those services to clients. I had a case where a um, property manager of a condo association had embezzled um, well over $300,000 
she also employed her brother um, and some other family members. And each one of the individuals in the case had um, business entities in their name. The brother decided, who was an employee, decided he was filing um, that she was going to terminate him on paper for uh, being an employee of this condo association. He was doing maintenance. So he could collect unemployment while he was still being paid as a um, as an as an employee, and he was also being paid through his business entity for providing. So he was triple dipping. This individual is actually a um, part-time police officer for a small municipality in this area. So um, I believe he was terminated and subsequently arrested. And then the condo association um, or the condo uh, manager had also used her company to, um, it was create a shell company where she was paying her company. She was also paying herself, paying her personal expenses. I think she used the condo association's funds to rehab her condo unit um, and then had paid her boyfriend. And this is the only reason I knew this because I got the QuickBooks file had paid the boyfriend almost $800,000 between 93 and 2002. Because we this case went back, this was going on for close to, yeah, I'd say, I think 15 years before we got caught in. Um, almost $900,000 for snow removal. I'm like, I don't think there was that much snow in St. Louis during that time. So she was shoveling money, funneling money to him. So, you know, it's just interesting because there's so many different layers. You know, when you go down one path, you think they're doing one thing and then they start, it starts spidering out. You see all the different fraud schemes that start taking, coming into play. Fraud often goes 10 to 20 years. How does that happen? A lot of my cases, let me tell you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got cases that I've worked out, you know, Actually, I had a case that uh, shared this. Well, let me answer the question, and then I'll explain this case. So how does it happen? Because people are too busy, business owners are too busy running the business and not taking a few minutes to inspect some of the things that they need to. You know, one of the things I always try to give business owners, you know, get them to think about is just take 15 minutes a week. That's all I want you to do. 15 minutes a week. Go look at your payroll ledger. Go look at your expense, your credit card statements. Go look at your bank statements. Have your bank statements mailed to your house, not to the CFO, not to, you know, the controller. Have it mailed to your house. Get the checks images on your on your bank statements so that you can see them easily versus having to go and click each individual check online, right? Um, and just do, do a quick look, you know, um, inspection. Make sure that you're not seeing any employees on your payroll that shouldn't be there. Make sure you're not seeing a bunch of checks made out to Jackie James if I'm the controller when I shouldn't have all these, you know, $100,000 checks made out to Jackie James. You know, that's how you catch that. And if somebody sees, you know, the employees see that you're actually looking at this, it creates a perception of control, mm. which is doesn't cost money to hire anybody like me. You know, I try to talk amazing how I try to talk myself out talk people out of hiring me I'm like just do some things that don't cost you any money you don't need to hire me you know or hire someone like me but um, go do those little inspections and if they did that then it wouldn't take 20 years okay problem is, is as business owners we get focused we don't think about fraud you know most people trust the employees in the organization you know um, 
especially if you're the person that hired them, right? You want to think that you made a good decision. I wonder if that plays into it somewhat too. Absolutely, it does. And, you know, and that's where, you know, I always tell clients, I said, part of my job is also to play psychologist to a degree, trying to, you know, I have to talk sometimes people off a ledge as to why this person just violated their trust when they realize that the most trusted person stole from from them, you know, and it's hard. And it's really hard. So, um, so I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. So why it goes on so long. But, you know, just to give you an example, you know, there was a, a case recently, well, a couple of years ago that I had worked on um, where the woman had been there for 20 years, a little over 20 years, and embezzled between six to eight million dollars. I think we stopped at six, but we were thinking it was higher. The feds only found 1.2 or I'm sorry, 2.1 million is what they indicted the individual on. It was a 70 year old woman. She had been previously indicted for bank fraud in Texas back in 89. And had they done a simple background check, that would have probably caught that. How'd the Fed not find, it seems like such a discrepancy in the, the numbers. At some point they stopped because they figured they got enough, you know? So, um, but th- there were some questionable things that I, they probably just wanted to go after the easy side instead of really having to continue to work the case longer than they needed to. Um, at that point, I don't know that it would have made a difference if it was 2.1 million versus 6 million from a sentencing standpoint. She was 70 years old. They, I don't think she got much time. I think, you know, I think it was three years. Um, but then on the flip side, if there's restitution, you know, then the client can't go after that. Not to say they'll ever recover it, because more times than not in fraud, you don't recover the full amount unless you have insurance. And I always tell business owners, if you're listening, make sure you've got a crime policy and make sure you've got adequate coverage and it's not ten or 20000 Because most of the fraud cases I work are going to be in a 500000 or higher. And these are, you know, with small companies. So, Talking about small companies in the news recently, there's a major... It's, it's, uh, we don't know all the details yet. It's not been played out in court, but if I were to say FTX. <laughs> I would have loved to work that fraud case. Well, that would have been fun. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's over yet. No, I think it'll I'm be sure. on for a while. When you started seeing this play out, what thoughts, what came to mind? You know, it, it's, it's just one of those things that I think I see so much of it. I don't know that, you know, it's any different than seeing this, you know, the 388,000, it's just, people are going to do what people are going to do. Um, you know, if their ethical barometer, if they don't have a strong ethical makeup, they're going to find a way to, to, to benefit themselves one way or another. Um, you'd like to think it's not from, from the company that they work for or that, or that they own. But unfortunately, we're seeing more and more fraud with business owners stealing from their own company. Um, so, you know, I, I, nothing surprises me anymore. I've learned a long time ago, don't sit here and make the comment that, okay, I've seen it all now, because every now and then I'll see a new wrinkle. I'm like, okay, so nothing surprises me anymore. I think humans are good at surprising uh, just when you think you can't be. Yeah, you'll see a new wrinkle every now and then, so yeah. I imagine in, in your expertise in, in history, do you think it will just begin staying on this one last little bit how long or, or what we're just at the cusp of this 
So do we see this playing out over a long period of time? You uh, mean this case? Yeah. This oh, yeah. This case will take a while. Um, no doubt. I mean, it's it's uh, internet. I believe I haven't kept up with the details of it. So there's going to be some international elements of things. The feds are going to this case will probably take several years to investigate, I would imagine. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think people think, you know, and I get this asked a lot when I come in and do a case. Well, how long is this going to take? I think they want it wrapped up in like two, two weeks, three weeks. I'm like, you know, usually these types of cases, because we're having to go get documents, we're having to do all these different steps, you know. I mean, in one case that I'm working now, um, another nonprofit case, you know, we thought we'd have it done. I had everything done, and then I found some credit cards that I'm like, no, so I'm working with law enforcement. I'm waiting for them to get subpoenas back. So, you know, now that's extending it because now you have that process. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, four to six months, you know, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, but just plan that because if you're dealing with a fraud, because a lot of times it takes time to kind of go and collect all the documents that you need to be able to uncover and find those little breadcrumbs. And I'd imagine once you get the courts involved and you actually, if the case oh, goes the to court, court then... If, if it's litigation, yeah, this it could drag on longer. Yeah, totally. So a lot of my, um, my litigation cases, I mean, I've worked, they've been on my books for two, three years. I've had one that just finally settled after four years. Wow. No wonder you've been so busy. <laughs> more and more keep coming and well, you can't rev up all the other ones. So clearly, I think it sounds like you're at a great place. You love what you're doing. And you get to help people. It kind of comes back to what drives you, the, the your peace, your happiness. As somebody I spoke to earlier today mentioned, get back to your peace. What are some challenges? So to get where you're at today, the sweet spot, what are some of the challenges and things that you've had to overcome along the way to be the Jackie and have the business that you have today? Well, I think a lot of what I've already discussed, you know, the different pieces in my life, the, the challenging moments, you know, losing, you know, a, a loved one that was, you know, at a young age that was my soulmate, you know, having to reinvent myself from a career perspective. You know, when I hit 45, I went through some health challenges and um, started working with an energy healer that who has been a phenomenal phenomenal um, partner with me even today, you know, to get me to a point where now I start looking at life a lot more peaceful. When you talk about being peaceful, um, you know, I, I've learned to some other new skills of, you know, just kind of not taking life so seriously, you know, not um, charging so hard and, and learning how to trust in what's out there that we may, maybe can't touch, feel, see, or, or you know, have a, a tangible presence with. And by doing that, I've learned to let go. And I've learned to love myself more. I've learned to um, not be so hard on myself. And I've learned to be in a much, I've just over these last seven years, eight years, seems like my life has become a lot more peaceful. So it seems like I think we go through different phases in our life, we hit these, these, these pivotal moments. And, you know, it's almost like a rebirth. You know, you have a challenging time, that door shuts, you have a rebirth, you have a new, new, door, new door that opens and, you know, you learn new things and then you have something in that time period that, you know, may impact you in a positive or negative way. And from that, we grow even more. So I think it's just that continuing evolution of growth and personal growth. And, you know, I, what I've learned is the more I can... So in my early years, I was always trying to take care of everybody else. I didn't know how to take care of me. 
You know, I think that's the feminine piece in us, right? Mm-hmm. The mothering nurture in us. We want to go and take care of everybody else. That's what society teaches us. And so in my 40s, it hit me that, no, um, this was kind of all backwards. I needed to learn to take care of me. And the more I take care of me, then the more I can be better at taking and helping other people. And so, um, and now I do so where I don't feel like I'm drained. You know how you used to have that drained feeling because we're always putting out all this energy, helping everybody else. We didn't take time to fill up our own immersion, our emotional tank. And um, so now I just take care of me and I have the energy to be able to help others. And I do that now with what I do in, you know, with ARA and doing a forensic accounting and, um, and working with people going through very stressful times and it's rewarding. And so I, you know, I've made a commitment to myself that when I stop having fun with what I'm doing, then I'll do something different. So what, what's the light switch or did anything change for you? Because I agree, I think that taking care of yourself is very hard to do, whether it's personally what society tells you to do as a woman, take care of others, don't ask for help, yada, yada. Was there something that happened where you said, this is, this is or, something that happened where that light switch went off and or how every day you've said business is crazy you've got so much going on i know you also help take care of cats out there and different things you're all over Big the place. animal person yeah how do you what are some of the tips the tools that you have in place to remind yourself and to take care of yourself you know i and sometimes i forget because i'm human right i'll let the human side of me come in but you know for the most part i think i recognize um i recognize when i start to go down that old pattern and I tell myself, so, you know, here's what I learned. At 45, when I went through that, that whole transition process and, you know, the health issues and um, working with my friend Catherine Millman, who was amazing, um, I learned that I didn't have to hold the same old patterns that I was taught growing up. So I had to learn how, I had to rewire my brain, I had to rewire my thinking, you know, that I, I don't have to feel guilt if I don't do this. I just give myself permission to do this and I don't feel, you know, so it's just a different way of looking at it. So one of the things that, and this may be just because of who I am innately and, you know, I've always been of the mindset when I learn something, I can, I shift quickly. So I think when I find myself going down that path of going into an old pattern, I'm like, oh, wait, I kind of kick myself. I'm like, Jack, what the heck are you doing? No, wait, let's go over here. This is where I want to be. And I just shift mentally and I shift my energy. And then I just get myself back in where I want to be. And then I start focusing on the things that bring fulfillment to me. And you mentioned like taking care of the cats. You know, I'm, I'm a big cat person. I'm a big animal person. So I love doing things to help and take care of those that that's that's what fulfills me. So I go get my fix for my, my fur critters. And then I have, you know, I do other things that I enjoy for me. And then I have plenty then to be able to provide to others in my um, that I'm working with or you know in my circle so or people that I can help influence and in, hopefully in a positive way it's interesting or at least it stuck out to me when you talked about you don't have to be or do who you were grown or you know as a, as a young kid that you can retrain yourself or give yourself permission to be different and I think I've struggled with some of that myself and I know others and more about that like that struggle or how do you yeah you know honestly so one of the things growing up you know I didn't my just as an example um my mom and stepdad 
you know, we kind of robbed Peter to pay Paul. So financially, lack was always a big issue. So I'm just using this as an example. You know, so I kind of always grew up, I was on that mission as, an, as a young adult that I wasn't going to be, you know, as hell-bent. I'm not going to be that, live that same lifestyle that I grew up in. And I pushed hard to try to make sure that I, I would make, you know, had a good living and make, six, you know, good money. But in hindsight, looking back, I forced everything in life, Right. So I forced the jobs, I forced things, and then I had challenges. When you force things in life, you have challenges instead of letting it come to you naturally. So what I realized that in working with Catherine is I had to step back and I had to shed those belief structures of lack, you know, lack of abundance, lack of time, lack of love, lack of whatever it is, okay? And I actually created index cards for myself. So every morning I'm getting dressed, I started... I create index cards with positive affirmations and I started rewiring my brain. So that's what worked for me. You know, some people will do other things. They put vision boards up, whatever, whatever works for people. As I say, do that. So I would rewire my brain and start focusing on saying things, um, even how I spoke, you know, um, my other half was great when I started going down this process because I would get corrected and say, you know, if I said, well, you know, I want, um, X to come to me, or, you know, I, I, I want to feel, you know, well, that's not a good example. What was, uh, if I said something like, you know, I will, or I, I, or I don't want something, let's use that as an example. I don't want this. I would say, you know, I was taught to rewire the brain. Don't say don't, don't say the things you don't want, say the things you do want. And, and the key is, and, it, and the, you know, the secret to all of this, you know, if anybody ever watches a secret, that's, you know, I never understood that. And now I get it. Um, took me a long time, but now I get it. But the secret is truly is putting it out, out there, setting your intentions so that it's actually in the here now, today, in this moment, not in the future, not in the past. And so I think for me, in my younger years, I always lived in the past and I lived in a future. And so I've learned to live in the present moment. So when you say that, what's an example? And, and maybe this is one. Instead of saying, uh, "I will, I will be a partner at my firm," I am, or "I will be, I will be smart and successful." I am smart and right, successful that's right it. now. That's it. Perfect. I will be implies that that's a future. It's not. It's not here right now. So you know, saying I am a partner in my firm now. Then that was a little tricky for me, right? It's a lot tricky for a lot of people, especially those of us that are that are. Um, Literal, like Literal that's not and right. Visual. Right, exactly. That's not right. So I, I don't want to say that because that's not true. But it is our truth if that's what we want. So I had to learn to say, nope, it is here right now. And then I visualize that's me in as that whatever it is that I'm looking for that I'm wanting. You know, um, I visualize my company to be successful. You know, I haven't gone out and networked like I used to network. I was a networking queen for years. I haven't had to do that. I've been grateful because I started focusing on just manifesting abundance and clients and, and a successful company, and that's what I focus on, and that's what has just materialized. I, I can't explain it. I'm just grateful. And I think that's the other piece is being gratitude, showing a lot of gratitude. Um, so if you can focus on here now, the present, change your, your how we speak to be everything has to be positive. Don't, don't say things that, you know, I can't, I won't because that'll keep you stuck um, and show gratitude for the littlest things. You know, I wake up in the morning, I'm just, you know, thanks guys, lovely day. Even if it's raining out, hey, it's a beautiful day. 
And I think the uh, I've been working on that a lot over the last few years, and I know that's why Sarah yeah. Stock put I us know, in touch get- partially. I know I love our breakfasts. I know, I know, and it's it's. I have to remind myself it's a brain or a muscle that you're retraining. Yeah. So if you have a bad moment and you're not seeing the positive in everything, it's okay. It is okay. We're not going to be perfect. Try to start over. Try to stop yourself. Don't try. There you go. See. Don't try. And and that's and that's it. You know, we have to give ourselves permission to be human. You know, we're we're. We're a soul being and having a human experience. And so if we can give ourselves permission to err and to falter and have a bad day, that's okay. Don't be hard on yourself. And I had to learn that because that's really hard because I used to be the hardest person. Nobody could be harder on me than me. I think that's true for a lot of people. You're your worst self-critic or your worst critic. And oftentimes, and as a parent, I've realized I often don't have to tell them what went wrong they've been beating themselves up about it already. So let's try to look at it from the positive. What did we learn from this? What can we take from this? But you mentioned some things and I'm thinking, how can we be specific to anybody out there listening to this, sharing this note cards in the morning? Yeah. Uh, you know, what are those things? What might they say? Or what might you be telling yourself in those moments? You know, it depends. So, um, you know, for me, I would, you know, because like I said, the financial abundance piece was a big part for me, you know, I had to learn how to overcome the lack. So I would put on my note card, um, you know, I'm a magnet for money. And I'd visualize money just flowing to me. Um, And when I did that, and I started feeling it, the key is, is you can't just think it, you can't just say it, you got to truly feel it and believe it. All of a sudden, a phone rang that day. And a new client came on, it was crazy, you know, um, so I would, you know, so many other things, you know, that uh, I would, you know, I have an abundance of time. I have an, you know, um, trying to think of so many other cards that I had. Um, uh, you know, I love money. You know, just create a, a love and event for whatever it is, you know, or just cards that, that embrace love around whatever it is you're trying to change. You know, if it's self esteem, you know, I love myself. I value myself, you know, um, if it's, you know, career path, and you're trying to find a career path, you know, I have the I have my dream job, you know, just start creating these note cards, and telling yourself that you have that. now maybe you don't have it in this moment, but tell yourself you do visualize having that dream job and attract it to you. Um, it's all about the law of attraction. Yeah, as you mentioned that just before you said that, it's it's that mirror, it's what you put out there comes back Clear to right. you tenfold, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean if if you're cranky and, and God knows I've had my my days where I'll sit there and I'll go to the store and I'm like, I'm just, you know, really irritable with a salesperson that just I think is giving me horrible customer service. And then next thing I know, I step back and I'm like, Well, I'm doing the same thing I just got. Okay, so wait, can't do that anymore, you know? So again, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to falter along the way. That's okay. Don't just give yourself permission to do so, but recognize that you're doing it and then shift your energy to where you want to be. So it sounds like you're intentional with your note cards. You're repetitive. You're trying to build those habits, and it's built from gratitude, abundance, and positivity. Anything missing there? And love. Yeah, you got to love yourself and you got to love, you know, think love is a, that's the key of, you know, the universe, right? They, if we can love one another and have everything we do comes from love and gratitude. 
I personally think sometimes you'll see these things out there that say, what's the greatest? If, like, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I really do think love is probably the best superpower Absolutely. out there to, like you said, love yourself, which can be really hard to do. Love others that maybe hurt you or harmed you. Uh, love yourself as a kid who went through some of those things that you're still struggling with. I think you're right on there, love. Well, and that was hard, right? Having to learn how to love somebody that's harmed you or hurt mm-hmm. you. Um, but... I, I, that's one of the things I've been working on over the years, and what I've learned is I don't have to forget, but I can forgive. And it's not energy that I now, once I forgive, I'm no longer holding that energy, because that energy then manifests into things that cause physical illness, you know, which is what I was dealing with back in um, couple, you know, back in 2015. And so, um, you know, it's all about the energy that we hold. If we hold a lot of hatred, anger, fear, whatever, you know, our bodies are going to eventually get become ill from it so i don't know and uh i want to stick around for a while i've got a lot of work to do still yeah you have too many people out there that need your help and And want you around don't forget the critters (laughs) yeah the critters too um and i i like to think about it you know if if i am who do i like to be around do i like to be around people who are smiling giving out compliments and genuinely mean it and are positive or do i like to be around people who are consistently having a crabby bad day right and then i try to model that and be that person again not perfect but that gives me another way to think about it who am i being right now and what i want to be around myself how we show up in life is what we get you know so if we want a happy fulfilling positive you know gratifying life that's how we need to show up and to what you said is if we are harboring things from the past, we're really only creating a jail for ourselves That's in right. our minds, our hearts, our souls, and we're trapping ourselves that, you know, difficult, we have to somehow let it go and release that bad energy so that we can become more positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any tips or tricks or just a lot of hard oh, man, work and find some good people to work with? <laughs> you know, that's a hard one, right? I mean, you know, some people are good at it. We all have our own unique um, abilities and skills, right? Everybody handles things differently. This is one of the things I had to learn, you know, especially when I started working with Catherine because, you know, I see how she had helped me. Then I'm like, oh, my God, I want, you know, I I tried to get everybody to to go and and talk to her because she was so great at at being such a great, you know, uh, partner and just helping me to to really evolve as I am, not just as a person, but as a soul, as a being, you know, my, my, my spirit. And... You know, what I realized is not everybody's ready for a Catherine. So I had to meet, you know, realize I had to step back and meet people where they're at. So, you know, we all have our own path. And so whatever that path is, what I would tell people is go if, if it's you're ready to go jump in and do some hard work, go find somebody like a Catherine Millman or somebody um, who can help you to start looking at things and, and grow in, in a way that would be different than, you know, going to see just a counselor for per se Um, because she's also Catherine is a just to qualify this a little bit more she's not just a energy worker she's a medium psychic so she's really been pivotal and and she does a ton of energy work Um, but uh, go find somebody that can help you to get there go you know talk to what you know it's been interesting the biggest thing that's blown my mind is as I started down that spiritual path and learning to kind of rewire who Jackie was for the first 45 plus years um, and developed a new version of me 
I started talking to other business owners cautiously, you know, or other business partners cautiously. And I was amazed at how many people are actually going, starting to be more open to this whole spiritual path. And so I, I found myself building a community. So find that community, whatever it is you need, just go find it, you know, um, take the step. If you don't know where to go, just take a step forward. You know, the universe will provide, you know, you just have to trust and have faith that it will. You may not think it will, but it will. Um, so, you know, just go reach out and, and it, it, it seems to come to you, you know, every, everything comes the way it's supposed to. And that's what I've learned. You know, I just, I don't try to create and force things like I did in my first half of my career. I just step back and I let whatever be, be. Well, that's almost a tip for others out there. I mean, I think you had a lot of good things along the way. First, maybe summarizing some of the things you said that you had to go through maybe and, and add color to give tips to others rebirth reinventing yourself reminding that if a door shuts one opens yeah absolutely it always does um, which that whole i guess that's really to me don't give up you know as you just said just one step take that one step uh look for work hard but along those lines you also mentioned that you've had to get outside your comfort zone I've lived outside my comfort zone for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Can I tell a quick story? I don't know yeah, where absolutely. we're at in time. So when I was a, a young uh, loss prevention manager, I wanted to get promoted to a district loss prevention manager. And this is one of the things I tried to force in life, right? You try to, you, you know, you have, this, you have this idea of what you want, so you go for it. Okay. Um, I had a district loss prevention manager from another market come up and we were doing a new store, new district opening. And he had spent that week with me and he, and he sat me down. He said, Jackie, I want to talk to you. So he sat me down and, and kind of gave me a mentoring talk um, that I took to heart. Like, you know, actually I was beating myself up, you know, after that talk. And the one thing that he said, and I'll never forget this to this day, he says, I know you want to become a district loss prevention manager, but enjoy the journey. Instead of trying to get to the end result, enjoy the journey along the way. And that's always stuck with me. And so after about three days of processing that and kicking myself and beating myself up, and then I realized, you know, maybe there's something to what he's saying. And I let it go. And I said, okay, I'm just going to go and I'm going to do my job. And when the time comes, I'll get promoted. I'm not going to worry about it. Three months later, I got promoted. So enjoy the journey. That's what I tell people. Enjoy the journey. You know, we're here for a period of time. We're visiting this earth. Go enjoy the journey. So do you think that message kind of goes back to, or and maybe there's more, that abundance, that manifesting what you want versus trying to force Absolutely. what you want? Yeah, I think anytime we try to force a situation, we get an outcome that's not favorable to us, right? Instead of just letting unfold what is intended to unfold, what is meant to. Well, you still do the work. Yeah, well, yeah, you still absolutely still hard. do the work. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, and you learn, you know. I, I, I always said... You know, the day I stop learning is, you know, the day it's time to go home. You know, it's uh, no sense being on this earth anymore. I just, it's always a learning process. And so the more we continue to learn and expand, and again, you know, I love to pay it forward. So that's kind of my role. I feel like I'm here on this earth so I can learn and absorb and, and, and then apply what I learn and help others so that they don't have to go through the same challenges. You've shared a lot, both on the business, the industry, things you've learned personally uh, abundance positivity etc 
I do want to make sure before we'll we'll kind of circle back to the what knowledge you can share from a business perspective and then we'll maybe close it up with one last final word but if people want to find you get your help or talk to you from a forensic all of that how do they find you so my website is ARA STL for St. Louis so not F but ARA STL.com um my phone number's on there uh Mm -hmm. Uh, the email is on there or they can mm-hmm. email me direct at jjames at arastl.com. Um, I always tell folks if anybody ever has questions, um, you know, I I welcome people to call with questions. I don't charge for, you know, taking time to talk to somebody, um, you know, if they've got something they're just not sure about, um, you know, so the initial calls are always always complimentary and even after they're a client a lot of times i don't charge for a lot of my calls but um i'd much rather somebody call and get a question answered and hopefully they don't need me you know there's unfortunately enough people out there that will so you know but if i can help somebody to not need some to have to hire somebody like me because they took time to be proactive and get mm-hmm. some answers that's important you know and you mentioned i know you're on linkedin also I'm on linkedin um on facebook um the company ARA is on Facebook, and then, um, yeah, I'm not into all the other social media stuff. <laughs> Maybe I'm aging myself. <laughs> oh, well, you could throw me right there in that, that basket. But you also talked a lot about, you know, how you can set people up boards, nonprofit boards for prod, pre, fraud uh, doing prevention fraud training. training. Yep. You know, I'm sure, and you said also other businesses. Yeah. So not only somebody comes to you, you're on a case, but they could also have you come in to teach their people how to prevent it, stop it, see it, whatever. So what are those additional things that they can... Yeah, so I mean, obviously doing any type of training. I, You know, I love training. Um, Matter of fact, I, um, you know, started doing a little bit more of that. And my goal is now that COVID's over with to get back out and start, you know, hopefully doing more live uh, speaking events. I also do a ton of of, uh, public speaking events um, and where I can go in and do training around fraud or whatever the topic is, you know. Um, So companies can hopefully mitigate some of that but doing fraud training for managers employees um doing fraud risk assessments you know if you're a business to kind of do it in other words it's a checkup for fraud to make sure you don't have fraud or if you're Mm -hmm. not sure um and by the way that is very different than a cpa level audit financial statement audit as you know um you know uh, and i think most businesses think that a financial statement audit is going to find fraud and the likelihood of that is going to be very minimal and they'll even, the CPAs will even tell you that, or the auditors will tell you that in the attestation letters. Um, so doing the trainings, you know, doing a fraud risk assessment audits, doing the fraud investigations. Obviously, if anybody's going through a divorce um, and there's any types of, you know, potential high risk of assets being dissipated, um, you know, or money being hidden, um, I specialize in asset tracing. It's what I love to do is kind of find those breadcrumbs, you know, that nobody wants you to find. And... Um, you know, or if somebody has any type of a state issue, but litigation support or fraud risk management and training, public speaking, I guess that pretty much covers, I think, a lot of what I do. And I've got a team of folks now, so, um, you know, had to grow over the last couple of years, which is good, so. And it sounds like you're certainly trying to, like you mentioned a couple of times, work on the the uh, proactiveness. I think of like doctors, right? Instead of the symptoms, let's work at what's actually going on there. And so, that would be great, I'm sure, for a lot of companies and yeah. people to bring you in on that. Probably a lot easier 
to work on that and less expensive then that's it right there less expensive it's very everybody listening out there it is less expensive to be proactive than to be reactionary and probably less headaches and fewer headaches and things and uh, that whole psychological side of what you said so we know what you can do for us where to find you as we wrap up the show you know any one big takeaway whether it's business whether it's something that really helped you personally grow that you would want to share with everybody today just go love one another, you know, go love yourself and go, you know, what I would say is go find your peace, you know, whatever that peace is for you, you know, um, because that translates into everything we do. If we're happy and peaceful and we don't have to hold that energy of stress and anger and fear and anxiety and whatever else that we've held for however many years, and we can learn to just shed that and be peaceful, that translates and it has a ripple effect in our world. So the more we can do that, the more it impacts others positively, you know, positively. And then it translates into everything we do personally and professionally. I think don't be afraid to do it your way. Whatever that positive right, way is, be you. Right, whatever works for you. Absolutely. And don't try to be that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because you and I could have two different ways of doing things, and that's okay. It's good. Yeah. We shouldn't all be the same. It'd be right. pretty boring. Yeah, it would be, right? What was it? Star Trek it was like the Borg. Everybody did the same thing. No, that's, yeah. That's why, you know, the universe created us all uniquely. So go find what works for you, but just go find your peace. That's what I would say. I love it. Love and peace. Go find it. Absolutely. Give it. Be it. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Jackie, well, thank you. for being here, sharing yourself on so many levels. Appreciate it. I got to say, I think you brought more out than I had realized. Like, coming in, I'm trying to figure out, well, what am I going to talk about? And boy, it, it was all in there. You had it. That's <laughs> why I asked you. I knew you were special. Um, and now we get to share that with more people out there. So thank you. Well, thank you, for, you. This was fun. Appreciate it. Always. Thanks. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.